0: All right, so uh, let me say a word of prayer for us, and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these moments together. Um, Lord, as we take these, this time to look at the doctrine of the Trinity, um, the truths about it, what, what we should understand and know, Lord, I pray it would be an exercise in both learning about who you are, but also something that would grow us in our knowledge of you, We would learn to interact with you in a clearer manner, and it might have an impact on our personal devotions to our worship. Uh, As a whole, Lord, may we be reminded of how you are genuinely three persons in one God. And so we pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. All right, let's do, uh, if you have your handout tonight, I want to walk through a little bit of an introduction Then I'll spend some time in the Bible outlining this and then take some time to speak about some things that people falsely believe about the Trinity. So let's read the summary statement to begin with. What what is the Trinity? And I'll begin to unpack this. The the summary is the, the one true God, and here's the word, is triune, or three in one. He's eternally existing as three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's a, a basic definition of what the Trinity is. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the word Trinity just to begin with. Well, why don't we use the word Trinity? So it's a combination of two words: tri, which tricycle. If that can help you out, a little bit, simple. Right? Tricycle has how many wheels? Three, right? So Trinity is three. So we begin with the three there, but then is, he is triune or, or Trinity or triunity. Right? So, so if we put the two words together, think of tri and unity. So we have three in one. So that's, that's why we're, when we say the word Trinity... We are defining God as three and yet one. He is unified. The three persons of God are unified in one God. So, um, just as a beginning thought, I, maybe you've thought of this or not, or studied the Trinity much, uh, the word Trinity or triune is actually not in the Bible. You, you can't, if you start to look through your Bible, you'd say, okay. Where do I find the word Trinity? You you won't find the word. But the word defines, as I'll show you in a minute here, a concept that is found all throughout the Bible. So this is a lot of times what we do with theology, is we're taking something that the Bible teaches, and we're summarizing it in something. And so we're taking something the Bible teaches about who God is, and we're summarizing it, and we use this word uh, Trinity to describe God. And this was first used, I think it was about 200 A.D. that this word was first, somewhere in that neighborhood. I think it was Jerome, I was reading today, first used this word. And then over a period of time, in fact, not going to unpack church history, but this is one of the things that the church had to wrestle with. Because if the word Trinity is not there, the church was now trying to read the Bible and understand This difficult concept. I mean, can you imagine right now if you didn't already have some sort of church background and you had never thought about God before and you all of a sudden pick up your Bible today and you read, okay, there's one God, and then all of a sudden you start reading the New Testament and you see there's this God the Father and there's this God the Son and there's this God the Holy Spirit and you're like, how in the world am I going to put this all together? So you can imagine as people were trying to define this, uh, there was a little bit of stumbling through the church. But ultimately, that's how we got to the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, Let me say something on the beginning here. I joked at the beginning to say that I would answer every question, but many of us know that there's a bit of mystery to the doctrine of the Trinity. there's There's a mystery here about answering what we're doing. And this is, I would appeal back to a verse I think I used a couple weeks ago, Deuteronomy 29, 29. I think it's a great verse to help us. It says, the secret things... Belong to the Lord. So there's an element of this, and exactly how this works is a bit hard to understand. Uh, It's going to come up even as you begin to think about how Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. As your brain starts to get to really break that down, there are some parts that don't completely make sense to you. So i just mention a few things about why this is a mystery. First of all, I'll say mystery is okay. It's okay that God has, in fact, because of Deuteronomy 29, 29, there's going to be some secret things that just belong to the Lord. It's okay that there are things about God that you do not know. It's okay. I'll take it a step further. Um, It's not just okay. It's a great reminder you are not God. Because if you could understand everything then you would be God. So there's a good reminder that sometimes, I think this was, I was teaching Sunday school, somebody was teaching the lesson, Gospel Project, Isaiah 55, 8, 9, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, my ways are higher than your ways, right? In other words, it's a good reminder that God's like, his brain's up here, and yours is down here, right? So there's a level at which when there's mystery like the Trinity, that we shouldn't be always bothered. In fact, it's, it's meant to be a mystery to us. I'll say the third one, and this would be helpful Uh, hopefully to use it, that mystery does not mean that it contradicts. In other words, uh, just because it might appear to contradict in my mind does not mean that it contradicts in the mind of God. So you might say, what? How does that work? How does it work that there are three persons and yet one God? I mean, if you think real hard about it, it's a bit difficult to put together. But that's the reason that you are a finite, limited mind peering into an infinite God, unable to understand. So you don't look at it and say, well, just because I don't understand it, it contradicts. That's that's not true. It's the fact that you're peering into something that's much greater and more complex than your mind. So I just want to mention, before we jump in, that's the mystery of the Trinity, a little bit about How we will explain it, and then we're kind of going to leave it. And so just to say that is this is a good moment uh, rule that I've, particularly in this and a few other areas, I think we need to learn to speak where the Bible speaks and not speak where the Bible doesn't speak. So we need to learn to think, okay, when the Bible says this about what the Holy Spirit does, that's what the Holy Spirit does. I don't start making up things I think the Holy Spirit does. So in the, in the midst of this, we need to learn how the Bible describes, in particular, each of the persons of the Trinity. So let's start walking through the Bible. I just want to point you to a few verses that will show you the Trinity. So if you were, if you were sitting across from somebody, <laughs> you think about this task. Somebody's not a Christian. In fact, we'll talk a minute about how this distinguishes us from other, other religions of the world. If you were sitting across from them and they would say, okay, I want you, you tell me this Trinity thing's in the Bible, show me. I mean, what would you say? What, where would you walk them? And so what I'm about to give you is the verses that I would walk somebody through. Well, What I might show them about the Trinity. So let's begin, really there's two elements. Let's begin with the oneness of God. And we're going to look both Old Testament and New Testament. Okay, So, I put them in here because I felt like it would turn into Bible drill if I didn't. So, uh, we'll read through a few of these. I, again, I'm not going to unpack all of them, but I will mention a few of them. Um, Deuteronomy 6.4 maybe the primary verse on the oneness of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right? It's a very, very clear statement. God is one. Isaiah 45, verse 5. I am the Lord, there is no other besides me. There is no God. He is the Lord, there's no. And even then, this he, he says, I am the Lord. There's no other gods. There is one single God. Okay, so you say, well, is that just the Old Testament that God is one? That's where I give you Romans chapter 3, verse 30. And uh, he's, Paul's in the middle of making a point, but at the beginning of his point, I won't read the whole verse, he says, since God is one. So now I can take you to a Old Testament verse, God is one, New Testament verse, God is one. So we, have, we have a pretty clear statement that we don't serve multiple gods. We're not polytheists. We're we monotheists. We believe there is one God. There's only one God. Okay? Now let's, let's begin to unpack the three persons of God. Where in the Bible do we begin to see this as the three persons of God? And in many ways, this one will, the the revelation that God provides in the Bible of the Trinity is a bit of of an unfolding progressive piece. You, You don't immediately see distinctly the three persons. You just begin to see them. So think about it as, particularly the three persons, as, a, as a, you go through your Bible, you'll begin to see it's there, but as we go, it will become clearer and clearer as you get further along. So look at the verses here. In creation, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock and over every creature over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on there. earth. So, so there's this plurality, if you caught it. God is speaking of himself, and he says, let us make man. So God, even out of the gate, well, at this point, who calls himself one, is speaking in a plurality. He, he, there is, and you know, this is where you go to Colossians chapter 1 in the New Testament talking about how all things were created through Christ. So, so when I read Genesis 1, I read it through Colossians 1 and understand that he is creating all things through Christ, all things hold together through Christ. So you see this picture in creation where here is the Trinity at work. So you see this beginning in Genesis 1, a couple of the verses in Genesis I'll point you to that uses the plur- plural term, Genesis 3.22 and Genesis 11.7. God is both saying, us, in this passage. So, so listen to Isaiah 6-8. You might not think of Isaiah 6-8 as a Trinitarian passage. This is usually talking about missions, right? Here am I, send me, right? But listen to the phrase that the Lord asked, verse 8. He said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Even as, and this is what we're going to get to today, you need, we, we don't think about God in a Trinitarian fashion enough. If I were to to press an application into your life, you probably don't think about the the Trinitarian action of God enough. And I'm not speaking, sometimes we just either focus on one in particular, I'm speaking about thinking of the three persons as a whole acting together in different parts. So, So we'll press further, but in this moment, you could even say that the mission-sending act of God is Trinitarian here. He's sending Isaiah, here I, here I am I, send me. It is done from us, right? So let's jump to the New Testament. So the next two passages I want to look at, if you're familiar with the doctrine of the Trinity and have studied it much at all, in fact, you, you'll probably know these two, uh, because these may be your in my mind, the main two passages that I would take somebody to so they could see the three. Because at this point, it's us, and it's not terribly clear how the us work. But we fit, we'll see some things that are very distinct about it in a moment. Let me read Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17 at the baptism of Jesus. It says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water Behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So very distinctly here, you see each of the three persons all separate from each other. This is a foundational passage to understanding that each is a separate person of the Trinity. When we get to speak about heresies and odd things, this passage will actually really provide a lot of help for us because we see Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father all separate. All in one moment. It's like catching them all in one room together. You know they're all three different persons at that point. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. This is the, what we know as the Great Commission. Another making disciples. This is how Jesus is calling. This is a calling placed on each one of our lives. Notice, this is why we baptize in a Trinitarian fashion, right? Don't say we baptize you in the name of Jesus. Listen to verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So so you get the sense that even in this moment, there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'll I'll reference this passage a few more times. I'm going to make some more points in a minute. I want you to keep these two passages in your mind. Here we have them all laid up next to each other is how we baptized. And then we also, previous to that, we see them all as separate persons. Jude, verses 20 and 21, says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Here's how you need to begin to think that the Bible begins to distinguish the persons of the Trinity and actually gives you some, even here, you say, how do you pray? You pray in the Holy Spirit. You keep yourselves, what, in the love of God. And then in the midst of that, you rely, you wait on the mercy of Christ. You see the distinctions there we can speak about? I can particularly speak about the mercy of Christ right now, the prayers that the Holy Spirit aids, and I can speak about how God has love for you. The Father loves you. You see, see, there's this Trinitarian moment speaking about each one. So if this is true, we see there are three persons, the Scripture, and there is one God. How, what are some key phrases, or as we, in this study, we call them major affirmations? What are the things we affirm about God? Let me give you... uh, a few. The first one is, there is only one God. There's only one God. You, you saw it in the verses in the Old Testament. You saw it in the verses in the New Testament. We, we only serve one God, not three gods. And so there, there's a sense at which we only have one God. So you, you never want to say three gods. That's, that's a bad statement. Uh, so I'm going to say a few things tonight to help some of your language with it. Because one of the things we want to be careful, language has meaning. We, sometimes I think we speak about the Trinity, and we don't mean to say something uh, that we are saying. So I want, I'm going to help walk through some words uh, tonight and say, well, I probably wouldn't say it this way. And I'll explain why. The second one here is, this, this God eternally exists as Father, as Son, and his Holy Spirit. There's a couple nuances here. Um, distinctly, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in other words, the Father is not the Son, the Father is not the Spirit, the Father is the Father. And uh, this is a relationship. I, I have a diagram there. Uh, I, think, I think it's on the page you're looking at. Ooh, we got it up on the screen, too. Um, in a minute, I'm going to speak a little bit about using analogies. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of analogies, but I do think this diagram can be helpful because it shows us, in particular, that everyone, it's its more just meant to be read. And so if you look at it and say, the father is not the son... Or, and the Father is not the Spirit. So each one, if around the edges you say, is not. But the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. All of them are God. They're distinct. Not each other, but all of them are God. So so you see the the picture there. So I I think that's helpful for people to begin to understand how this works, how to speak about it. There's another little piece Um, And I I don't intend to step into this. For those of you who have studied the Trinity for a period of time, we're going to talk in a second about roles. And um, in particular, the different roles the Trinity plays. There's a bit of a controversy about the length of time that those roles occur. This may be beyond what you would be interested in. But some people would say that the Trinity, the roles I'm going to talk about in a minute, are only temporary. So the Father, the Son submits to the Father, is only temporary. But we would say that they're eternal. In other words, we just said it right there. That's the distinction. This God eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So so they are always like that. It's not like, well, when creation happened, all of a sudden, God the Father says, Hey, Jesus, you go play the son. We'll do it for a little bit, and then we'll quit, right? It's not like a, hey, we'll try this. This is, this is who he is. This is who God is. So let me carry it a step further. The third one here is each of these, are three, per, each of these three persons is fully God. Now, you may not think about this very hard sometimes, but uh, this actually was one of the, this is where most, start my sentence again historically, this is where most of the argument was residing. Everybody knew God the Father was God. The questions were, is God the Son and God the Spirit God? That's where people wanted to go. We know that we only serve one God. That's clear in the Bible. We know God the Father is that. Then the question is, how is Jesus and how is the Holy Spirit God? That's where the the difficulty lies. Just to give you a few verses, i put them there. Genesis 1-1, clearly. In the beginning was God. We know that God the Father is God. Uh, Colossians 2.9 speaks about Jesus, and it says, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. So so Christ, the, the whole fullness of God, dwells in Jesus. Right? So he is God. And that's a little easier. The, the, probably the, the hardest one sometimes, and I, I think it's clearly there. But the one you may, if you start to look, is to speak about the Holy Spirit. When is the Holy Spirit God? Now, I'll read a verse here in a minute that I think supports it. I think Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. 19, we, we went through it. It says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I think when the Holy Spirit gets put up on that plane, all three, all three are thought of as Godlike. Another passage, I think, and there's several in there, one that just off the top of my head. You, you guys know uh, Ananias and Sapphira? Uh, it's a Trinitarian passage, because what he says is he looks at Sapphira and says, why has Satan so filled your heart that you've lied to God? And then you know, about two verses down, he said he's filled your heart that you lied to the Holy Spirit. He'll say it two different times, he'll say it two different ways. Say you lied to God and you lied to the Holy Spirit. So they're equated, they're the same. So there's another passage that would uh, support it. And then just to reference it, uh, I'll speak about it in a second, but Galatians 4 will say the same thing. We'll read it in a moment. So, so the Spirit is the same. He, Spirit is God as well. The three are distinct in roles, yet engage in separately in divine works. So there's a, that's probably a hard sentence, but let me unpack it. Let me speak in particular, this is something maybe, you, maybe you've thought of, maybe you've not, is that within the Trinity, as I press into this doctrine a little bit, there are roles. What I mean by roles is everybody play. there's a, there's a part to be played. And the roles are done in, in um, I don't know if I put this list up under there, but they're different in the roles in the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So the Father is the main agent in creation. The Father creates through the Son, but the Father is the main one creating. Uh, The Father sent the Son. So think about the distinction there. There's a different role. If God is sending the Son, the Son is sent, God is the sender. There's a distinct change that happens there. Um, Then, God and the Son sent the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit then is the one that proceeds out. We'll speak about that word in a minute. God and the Son sent the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Son is the Savior. The Holy Spirit is our Comforter. And here's one to think about that presses it. The Son and the Holy Spirit act in submission to the Father. Jesus would pray, not my will, but the Father's will, right? So there was distinctly a part of his life that he said, God the Father, I submit to the Father's will. This is a, this is a key piece that helps us even think about even to today. If, if we were to be talking about the roles of marriage, when we say wives submit to the husbands, the same thing carries here. That if in the Trinity... God the Father is completely God. God the Son is completely God apart. It's not like uh, God the Son is God. And ultimately, when he chooses to submit, when he submits to the Father, he's no less God or valuable. It doesn't change his essence. It's a role. It's, It's the same way you might think about it even in this moment, I would compare it to I am currently in the role of teaching this class. Am I any more valuable in essence than you are? Absolutely not. I'm leading the group, but that's because I have a role and you have a role right now. That's it. We just are playing a role. And the same thing works in a marriage where the husband is to lead the home and the wife wife is to submit. There's not any sort of devaluing of the wife. In every bit of essence The value God has in those roles is the exact same, and you see it in the Trinity. So so we get this idea of submission, we see it in the Trinity, and we see that role being able to play out even for us. The Spirit, in turn, um, plays the role of sanctification. Uh, The Spirit is here to walk through the road with us and help sanctify us. So uh, I kind of did the relationship and the roles all together, so I apologize for the blurring there. But for us, these are the roles we see in the Trinity. Okay. All right, so the next one here is the three are distinct in eternal relations. Here's another Trinitarian verse you might not have thought about being Trinitarian in fact, this is uh, Gal- Galatians 4 and uh, Romans, what was I preaching? Romans 8, speaking about adoption as sons. You know, we speak about, uh, I preached on adoption a few months ago, it was Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 uh, is parallels Galatians 4. And so if you're looking for like the passage of the Bible that speaks, these sound, there's a lot of similar language, but what's interesting when the Bible speaks about adoption both earthly adoption, your adoption in terms of your salvation, there is, there's, there's some Trinitarian language here. Listen to it. Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So you see the two there. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent, guess what now? the spirit of his sons into our hearts, the Holy Spirit there, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You understand that the act of adoption is a Trinitarian action. Adoption isn't just God the Father, it's not just God the Son, it's not God the Holy Spirit. It is God acting in a Trinitarian fashion. So there are three distinct, There there are three that are distinct in eternal relations there. So let's walk through major errors to avoid. So this will be the fun part, right? How How do we mess it up? So let's start with affirming that God is only one person. So this just means there is no trinity. Or in some ways, it's rejecting both Jesus and the Spirit. That's what you might say. Because you're probably not going to say, well, the Spirit's God, but the Father and Jesus are not. Right? So most likely this will be picking the Father and not the Son and the Spirit. And so uh, one of the ways in which I think this can happen is when we don't actually want to make a distinct three persons. Uh, In other words, we... We just want to say there's one God, but we don't want to go as far to say there's any sort of distinction between the three persons. We, we have to believe there's something substantial to be different between each of these uh, three persons. And so, um, anyway, I'll keep pressing and I'll, I'll talk about some more in a minute. So there's one of them. Second one. Affirming that there are three gods. In other words, tritheism. In other words, we throw completely out that there's one God, and we call Jesus God, Spirit God, Father God, and we just have three gods. That's not, that's there, but that's not one we typically would fall into. All right, now here's probably the one we fall into. Third one. Denying the distinctions of the three persons. Denying the distinctions of the three persons. So, so this... This plays out in uh, different forms. Uh, One of the famous heretical forms of the Trinity is called modalism. So so in essence, we believe like three, God just had three different names or he played three different parts. He took on three different modes. He was going to be God over here. It'll be God the Father. It'll be called that. He's the same God. He comes over here and says, "You call me God the Son." And the same exact God comes over here and God says, "God the Spirit." There's no real distinction there, other than God just took on three different names, modes, forms. You see what I'm? There are three distinct persons, and when we see them at the baptism of Jesus, they're all in one spot. So we go, "You guys can't all be the same person, right?" I, I know that at this moment there are three distinct persons. You're not. You're not. Going away and changing forms. And so this is where I don't like the word forms. Uh, I would not say that there are three forms of God. Uh, one of the, the ways I did this, whether it was trick question or not, uh, when I did that theological survey about a year ago, on the survey I, I, I put the Trinity is, and I put three persons of God, and then one of the other options I put three forms of God. Well, you may not have known if you were picking it, but three forms of God is God changing into a different form. I don't want to say three forms. I want to say three persons. They are distinctly different. So I wouldn't use the term forms. Again, I didn't think everybody was picking that because they knew what they were picking. But I would just say that's not a term I would use. You're you're kind of pressing towards this idea. Now, now, um, Here's where I'm gonna take this moment to say I would uh, lean away from using analogies. I know they can be helpful. Uh, But every analogy we have breaks down. Because simple analogies don't match the complex truth of the Trinity. Every single one of them will fail at some part. Let me take a few for example. I'll just walk through a couple. Um, Let's take the three-leaf clover. Three leaves on a clover, it's all called a clover, right? The, The problem is that each leaf is only part of the clover. Do you understand that Jesus is all of God? He's not a third of God. He is all of God. And the Holy Spirit is all of God and the Father is all. So so we can't just say, well, really, all the Trinity is is just God just chopped up into thirds. Not what we're going with, right? So so that's where, as it may be, may think it's helpful, if somebody grabs onto that, they're actually not getting the full picture of the Trinity. Uh, Another one, water. Like it's, you say, like, water changes three forms. So it's like, one minute it's ice, one minute it's liquid, the next minute it's steam, right? All still H2O, but taking on three different forms. The problem is, I can't make it water, ice, and steam all at one time. Right? It's, it's either ice, it's, that, that's modalism. It's saying, okay, God's either ice, and then he changes to water, and then he changes to steam. It, no, No, God is all of these at one time. Um, there's a famous one about somebody who's a father, a son, and a brother all at one time. Right? So say, you know, I could I'm both a father, I'm a son, and I'm a brother. I am right now. I have a sister, I have children, and I have a, I have a dad, right? So a mom and dad. So that I'm both, I'm all three of these things. The problem is I'm still just one person. The Trinity is what? Three persons, right? So so even then it breaks down, I'm not three people. Well, then I take three people, let's take three, well, no, no, no longer, they're one. So, again, my analogy, because it's earthly, it's limited, breaks down. So, I just would encourage you, as you use them, if you decide to use them, learn the weakness and apply the weakness to the analogy. Because of the complexity of the Trinity, there is no earthly analogy. And I just go to this to say, every great theologian I've ever seen on the Trinity, the closest I've come to spelling it out in some sort of form you can look at, is that diagram on the screen. Right? It, they, they don't try to break this into any sort of analogy. All right, here's a couple more. Denying the deity of the Son. So you don't see Christ as somehow less God in submission. So in other words, you would say, Jesus is somehow less of God because he's the Son and he's submitting to the Father. Well, that's not true. And then, then here's one we press in here, is denying the deity of the Holy Spirit. And this is, we may not mean to, but in many ways in our mind, we almost get to the point where we think of the Holy Spirit like a junior member of the Trinity. There's like big God the Father, and there's that big Jesus there, and the Holy Spirit tags along like a smaller portion of the Trinity, right? Like, they're not quite what, the Holy Spirit is not quite what the Father is. That's because we misunderstood roles. The Holy Spirit's job is to reveal the Son, who the Son then allows us to have access to the Father. But that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is any less God in the Trinity. There are three persons to God. Okay? So, let me, this may be part I want to spend a minute on and maybe create more questions. Enacting the doctrine. How do you do do something with this? I've talked a long time about different heretical things, talked some time about things that you shouldn't believe, well, how should you actually go apply this? Maybe the most interesting part of it. First one is acknowledging that this doctrine distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. What is distinct here, and I was talking to somebody right before this, you know, you get somebody at your door, Jehovah's Witness, or different people like that, you'll find that the Trinity becomes a a lightning rod of a conversation. Uh, What's interesting, Whereas we, we've talked a few weeks before this, like somebody who might be Catholic, one of the, of the many distinctions we have, the Catholicism, the Trinity is not one of those things. Uh, we would actually agree on, on this piece. But um, ultimately when you go to like Buddhism or Judaism, I mean, for, for a person who's a Jew, looks at the Old Testament, they only ever see one God. They never get past the one God piece. So when you start to say three persons, that, that's not something, something a, a Jew could embrace. Uh, a Muslim will only see one God, will not see. They will even accept Jesus as a prophet, but Jesus is just a great prophet. So I put that together just to say, Christianity is distinguished by the Trinity. You'll find out just exactly how distinct we are by that belief. You know, I, was, I was at a conference, uh, it was last week I mentioned I was at a conference, and I was listening to some of the songs that we were singing, and it got me thinking about, if you ever go hear worship, and this is one of the things I appreciate so much about John Stegmerton, but if you're you're ever somewhere else and you hear a worship set, ask this question in the back of your mind. How many people from different beliefs and faiths could have sung this worship set and agreed with everything we sang? Like, let's say a song is just praise be to God. All glory be to God. There's a lot of people that could say that. There's even a lot of different beliefs and faiths that could say that. Well, all of a sudden, now we add Jesus in the mix. Well, now that distinguishes a group, right? Then you say, maybe sing the Trinity. That distinguishes another group. Then you press that even further. You put the gospel in there and say, Jesus' blood is what saves us from the wrath of God. All of a sudden, you've now... You've now made a statement as a group of people. I just wonder sometimes, I sit and, sit and listen to singing and think uh, how much we learn from singing and how much I appreciate we sing things here that in particular speak directly to what we believe. Anyway. All right, let me give you a second one here. Worshiping God is triune. So let's talk about worship for a minute. Here's some good phrases to learn. You worship, you worship the Father through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You worship the Father through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables you, through the blood of Christ, you now have access to the throne of God, and then we look up to God and we worship His greatness. So, so, that's, that's the, so when you worship, it's Trinitarian in fashion. Let me press it further. Let's speak about prayer for a moment. So when we pray, we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit again. You should think of your prayers as to the Father, through the blood of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, um, let let me close. i got a couple things left. I'll give you an interesting thought. One I didn't have till several years ago. Uh, and I, I thought about it a day when I was talking about this. Does, in the Trinitarian nature of God, who should you pray to? I don't know if you've ever thought much about this. Who do you think, when you open up your mouth and begin to pray, who should your prayers address? Well, um, in many ways, the Bible doesn't... I, I can't take you to an explicit passage and say you have to pray to Jesus. You have to pray to the Holy Spirit. So I don't know if I can sit here and tell you any one of those is particularly wrong. So I'm going to start with that. Then I'm going to take a step further and say, okay, what's the pattern you see in the Bible? How do you see people praying? So even Jesus, he says, pray like this, our Father. Um, And in fact, if you start looking through the Bible, Find a spot where somebody prays directly to the Holy Spirit. It's hard to find. I don't think you'll find it. Um, you may find places where you see people in some sort of direct prayer towards Jesus. There's even a, a thought of Jesus coming, but I don't, I don't think you see it modeled a whole lot. Here, here's what I would say. is If you were to somehow address the Holy Spirit in your prayer, or to address Jesus in your prayer. I I can't tell you there's anything wrong with that. But here's what I would say to you, that the biblical pattern that you see over and over again is an addressing of the Father. And so I just make it my practice, unless there is something distinctly different, even then, the Father's the one who sends the Son and sends the Spirit. So I'm going to ask the Father to send the Spirit. So if I want the Spirit to come down, I'm going to say, Father, send your Spirit. Because that's what He did. So I'm going to speak to him as father in his role to send his spirit here. I I just feel biblical about that. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to place something on you that's saying you have to pray like this. If you hear somebody pray, the Holy Spirit, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong. I just, when I think of praying, I pray to the father. And that would be my, you know, I just typically when I begin a prayer, I'll say, heavenly father, I want to speak right, right to him. Um, So I I would encourage you to to consider making that the pattern of your prayer. Primarily praying to the Father. But I would press, that's right, Jesus did it, Jesus modeled it. I think the argument back in my mind is he's gonna talk to himself. So I don't think, there was some level he couldn't pray to himself, but I do think it's the pattern. And I think that as I would press further, Don't just pray to the Father. You should pray to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a sense at which you come to pray knowing the Holy Spirit interprets your groanings, the Holy Spirit is your comforter, your guide, the one who convicts. And then when you pray, you know the Spirit is there. As you speak to God, you know it is by the blood of Christ you have access to Him, and that you even have the grace that stands there before a holy God. And as you press to that, you speak to God the Father. I I think that's the picture that I have in my mind. Right. Right, so through Christ we both have access. That's exactly right. Trinitarian verse. He said, Ephesians 2.18, For through Him we both have access. Uh, by the Spirit, to the Father. And so, it, it, it right. Well, in Jesus' blood, what we mean by Jesus is not like a, a magical Jesus name and it checks it off. It's that because of the blood of Christ has covered me and I'm a believer, I now have access to the Father. So, I, I just encourage you to think Trinitarian um, in that nature. And ultimately, um, the last point I have on here. Uh, is banishing misunderstandings of God's triune nature. Uh, What he makes the point, I think this is in the book, but he says, within the Trinity of God, God is not lonely, God God does not need love, and God does not uh, need anybody to bring him glory, because within the Trinity, he receives all of that. There is no need God has from you because within himself, all of it is satisfied. So, so even there found in the Trinity is, a, is God's independence from us. So if I can encourage you with something today as we walk out of this, is to not make your prayers one-dimensional and to not make them in terms of where we said we have these three persons of God. Don't just pick one. Think about when you pray, do you pray in a Trinitarian fashion? I would even say when you come in and sit down on a Sunday morning and you sit down for worship, are you worshiping with the Trinity in mind? That there are three persons at work in that. So so this is where you're not focused on just the Spirit. I'm just going to get my mind on the Spirit. Well, that's not true. You shouldn't just be focused on one. You should be focused on the Trinitarian uh, nature of God, because that's how you, you see the fullness of who God is, and how he's revealed himself to us, but but, but more, this is who he is, three persons in one God. Um, each one of these persons we'll deal with, like Christ, the Holy Spirit, and um, we've already dealt with kind of God the uh, past couple weeks, but we'll actually deal with Christ and the Holy Spirit more specifically in who they are in the coming weeks. So let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. And you know what I'd like to do is uh, pray for those that are in the path of this hurricane tonight as we close. Heavenly Father, we know you rule over all creation. And we know that there are those that sit right now um, in the danger of this storm, and even for those that are out of the danger of the storm, their, their possessions might very well be um, ruined. And so, Lord, we pray right now that you would provide grace and protection. We pray you would enable and strengthen those that might be there to rescue and to save, the ability to get in to save lives, and Lord, we pray you would protect them as they go in as well. Lord, we pray you would weaken the storm. We ask that you would provide protection for those in its path. And Lord, we just ask now that even as it moves along, Lord, we pray you would provide just a movement of your spirit in the sense that people might begin to see that earthly possessions are not where our treasure is. They would begin to see the need for heaven and then ultimately the treasure of Christ. Lord, we pray for those that are out on disaster relief right now in eastern North Carolina, even for those that may be in the path of this storm right now that haven't recovered from the last one. Lord, we pray that you might provide for them as well, bring them great comfort. And Lord, we trust you to be the one working in the midst of even these storms. And Lord, as we leave tonight, we look to you, the triune God. Lord, we thank you for your Son who enables us to approach your throne with grace. We thank you for your spirit who gives us the words to speak, allows us to have the mind to be able to see your word and understand it. And Lord, we thank you for you as our father who loves us so much and cares for us that you sent your son and the Holy Spirit here to the earth. So Lord, God, we thank you for who you are. And Lord, help us to peer more into the depths of who you are. May that continue to change us and to grow us.